We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, I have a cold beer in my hand, which means I must be joined by Christopher Bedford, senior editor. I was editor. just asking, are you drinking? Yeah, no, you forced it upon <laughs> this podcasting session. You've changed. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's me who's changed. Um, senior editor at The Federalist, also with Right Forge. Chris wanted to talk about Joe Biden's no good, very bad, horrible <laughs> week. And I think that's... Uh, Poor old guy. You know, I said that's apt because it's all-encompassing. And uh, this has been sort of... It, it, the criticism of Joe Biden is all-encompassing at this point, of course. But this week in particular, a lot of this sort of came into focus. We're talking to you just after the Supreme Court's... Uh, the Supreme Court barred the OSHA mandate, which, uh, Chris, I want to get your take on that. What does this mean for the Biden administration? Is this going to be seen as a big loss um, by Washington and, and by the public? Well, yeah, I think I think it's a great a great thing for the American people to have the OSHA mandate smack down and viciously, too. If you're reading that opinion, it's like I wrote it. It doesn't sound like the Supreme Court wrote it. It's like you guys are ridiculous. Emergency for two years is in quotation marks. OSHA has no authority to do this. Also, you and, and, and they, you knew it was illegal. You did it anyways. You said that no one thought this was going to hold up. You did it anyways. Like, shame on you. Yeah. You have no authority, no jurisdiction. And I I can't imagine why they would have thought that they had the authority to do this. But mm-hmm. it's, it's, it just comes on top of so many of the things. It's absolutely meandering and kind of lost and sad press conference earlier today where he just he just it's really clear signs of dementia, really clear that he's overwhelmed. And it's a bad place to put a guy like that. And then his his whole tour of the country to try going down to Georgia and using the the body of Martin Luther King and the death of Martin Luther King as a punch a, a way to, to turn Republicans into a punching bag, trying to push his voter right stuff. But he goes down there to do his theater, which is entirely theater because he doesn't have the votes to change the election laws and he doesn't have the votes to change the filibuster. So he's just going down there to get something for the midterms. And the funny thing is, the left wing activists are so freaking stupid that they don't realize that Biden can't just change this. He doesn't have to, that Biden can't just kind of vote out of nowhere, that this is theater for the midterms. So they get angry and say no more speeches and don't even show up. Yeah. That whole thing's a disaster. It's like, that's true. I'm looking at him. He's getting even Jake Tapper. This is like, this is a way that you can tell when things are going bad for the administration. Jake Tapper is a wind vane. He like just goes where the weather's going. So if it's be mean to Trump time, it's be mean to Trump. If it's be hard on Obama, it's be hard on Obama. <laughs> right now, he is switched entirely to what the heck is going on, Joe Biden. And that's a, when, when you when you just shake Chapman, it's not because he's some kind of like super ideologue. I just think he just goes where the wind's going. And. It's a bad, bad week for the president. And, you know, honestly, completely deserved. So I think Tapper goes where the wind is going in terms of like the beltway. Right. So like the political establishment. Um, And one thing we didn't mention is that inflation hit a 40 year high this week. We didn't mention the ongoing fallout. And I think this is probably the most high profile failure of the Biden administration this week. The fallout from the ongoing flip flops from the CDC, um, from Dr. Fauci and. 
and actually Dr. Fauci, the, the emails that the Republican Oversight Committee released this week from Dr. Fauci and from Francis Tony. Collins, Tony, uh, what a catastrophe for the administration. It actually shows that someone they continue to embrace as their face of the COVID response is plainly corrupt. And it, the slow drip, 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 if we're just talking about this from a public relations perspective, this is a absolute disaster because it continues every single day. The more we learn about emails, the more we learn about what was happening behind the scenes in early 2020 and what has happened since, it continues to put this very corrupt and very incompetent bureaucrat in the spotlight. Highest paid bureaucrat in the country. As he then sort of smugly spars with Rand Paul in a way that I don't think makes him look good at all. I'm sure you agree with that. Well, I don't think it makes him look good, but then again, I, I also understand that he's not my guy. I don't support him. I hate him. I would like to catapult him into the sun. But that was our headline, actually. <laughs> was <laughs> Which it? Was literally our Excellent headline. headline. <laughs> I would love to catapult him into the sun. Don't have that power. Vengeance is not mine. But the <laughs> I don't I, agree I, with that for what it's worth. I think that uh, I think he's I think he's terrible. So that, that, that colors me. Like maybe maybe liberals and Democrats do, who think he's amazing and think he's God and have votive candles for him. Maybe they see him sparring with Rand Paul and they cheer for him. I mean, you, you see that sometimes, like a Rorschach test. Yeah, I just think it's an increasingly small uh, percentage of the public. It's this is, I think, getting impossible for the Biden administration to ignore in, in a way. Oh, who knows? At the end of this whole yeah. administration, there's still going to be books out about how this was a scandal-free administration. I remember the Obama Biden administration was like literally killing, yeah. killing border agents and like losing guns that got used to like massacre child birthday parties in Mexico, and they left and, and had the IRS targeting conservatives. And lied about the, what happened in Benghazi. Yeah, lied about it. And then they, they got away with a scandal-free administration. So I, I don't really have any hope. But the American people are... Do you are, remember when the Obamacare website crashed on its first day? Yes. That was a, <laughs> that was a beautiful day. The, uh, <clears throat> the polling that's coming out for Joe Biden from a liberal polling outlet that shows him at 33% approval. That's really bad. It's so bad. And, it's, and white people are are more likely to approve of him than Hispanics. So that sea change that, you know, all the all the dumb Republicans like George W. Bush and Charles Koch said was said that Donald Trump would lose Hispanics forever. Mm -hmm. It turned out like not only did that not happen, he gained their support. He did very well with them. And now Biden's come in and kind of just helps to finish the job. Yeah. Where Hispanics have had a massive sea change. Uh, and that so that's these are these were all very bad signs for, for President Joe Biden. Fortunately for him, he probably is unaware of most of them. So Kylie was on uh, the podcast the other day and she was saying it's she has a really hard time discerning where the line is anymore. And I thought that was a really fascinating insight, because if you look at like what happened with Andrew Cuomo and Chris Cuomo, it's true that like at some point the rubber met the road for some hypocritical reason um, in our political establishment, left, center, center, right. And they both were out the door. There was one thing that just was the straw that broke the camel's back and none of it particularly makes sense. I mean, a lot of the things that are the straw, those straws that break the camel's back are things that people have known for a very long time. And Chris, you've been- Well, it's Jeff Zucker. It was Jeff Zucker's declining power. Like that's the thing you find, there is no line to her point because you are dispensed you you can but that doesn't explain you Andrew can Cuomo. you can you can commit sexual gratification acts on screen and get and not get fired 
but when you get when you when you over your usefulness is put to an end or when you make the wrong enemies like that is when you're put out to pasture there's no actual code of conduct it's just how useful are you? Fauci is starting to uh, make enemies in the media, which would be considered the wrong enemies for the Biden administration. Do you, Chris, think, as somebody who's been covering politics for longer than I have, um, and actually for a fairly long time, I won't give away your age, although your hair certainly does a little bit of that job for me. It's graying. <laughs> Continue the joke. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, but somebody, my knee hurts. My wrist hurts. Yeah, he's always complaining about his joints. Um, <laughs> where do you think, or do you think, that there's going to be a straw that breaks the camel's back with Anthony Fauci? Or do you think that because this is such a loyalty test, um, in a way that maybe the Cuomos or other examples of this aren't, that like your respect for Fauci is the ultimate test of whether you are good, capital G, or you care about other people and you care about COVID, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, he's, he's untouchable. You think so? He's untouchable. I, I think he could do whatever he wants. He could he could go out there with his stupid voice and his stupid prognostications. He could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> he, he, could, he could literally change his advice. Change his advice mid-interview and wouldn't be called out for it. I think what's going to happen... Yeah, he's going to re- resign or retire. Yeah, he's well past retirement age. I mean, he's so freaking old. Like the po- like, it's an automatic resignation for a Catholic bishop fourteen years ago or eleven years ago. Mm-hmm. He's eighty-one. So when I think he's going to resign, retire at the end of the Biden administration, maybe a little bit earlier, and then Republicans try to, or maybe before the midterms, Republicans try to haul him forward and hold him to account and actually get something out of him. It's going to look like they're just beating up an 84-year-old dude, and they're going to lose the public on that. And he's going to retire. He's also going to retire with $250,000 a year in, in payments. Yeah. For the rest of his life. That's that's a serious pension. Oh yeah. An Irish guy yeah. from from Boston looks at that pension and says, "Wow, that's the dream. <laughs> that's the freaking dream. I could work on Amtrak for a thousand years and not get a two hundred fifty k bonus." I think anybody looks at that pension and is like, "Holy smokes!" Um, Fauci, what we're referencing in, in regard to the Republican Oversight uh, Committee emails um, is seen sort of massaging a scientific study with Francis Collins. Now these are redacted and they're emails, of course, so you can't totally get to the bottom of it but the lab leak theory early in the pandemic we're talking about uh like 2020 the spring of 2020 um you have these scientists saying this looks almost certainly like a lab leak and then you have fauci and francis collins you have francis collins saying this is a detrimental conspiracy theory um, they saying it could be th- these facts could be harmful to science no no it's worse particularly harmful to science in china it's worse he says quote international harmony the the, the plain facts um, could be detrimental to, quote, international harmony. That's what Francis Collins says. Yeah, because the sends. Chinese did this, and they made that about Donald Trump. And, the, and Fauci, in an email, um, says, you know, refers to that as a, quote, shiny object, and basically says the shiny object will go away soon. So what you can see and you can infer clearly um, in those emails is that they're treating this as a conspiracy theory, as a shiny object, not seriously, whereas Fauci publicly was saying, you know, we haven't dismissed it, but it's a conspiracy conspiracy theory or we haven't dismissed it but we're just like waiting for the facts etc cetera, etc cetera. and the study was changed um it's pretty corrupt yes chris 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's completely correct. Did they also ask you social media companies to censor people who they disagree with? He did that They're, in the open. They yeah. were like bragging about talking Sending to Sending emails also privately saying, take this video down, take that video down. Biden said uh, it today. Biden, in a speech today, said it was encouraging social media companies to get rid of disinformation and misinformation, which of course just means anything that they say is false, which they probably will say is true in two weeks. <laughs> So you know what else was interesting? Just to get off Biden for a minute. Interesting thing in that poll was that Republican support for President Trump running from 2024 dropped nine points. Mm. And I don't think that's wrong. No, I don't think that's wrong at all. I think it's a couple pronged thing here that's going on right now. And that's one, no access to social media, which you know hopefully will be cha- will be changed in the first quarter of 2022 uh, with the launch of Truth Social. No access to social media is one aspect of it, but also I think that he's not really focusing on the issues that a lot of the base is focusing on. A lot of the, a lot of it's been about the election being stolen, and another part of prong of his thing has been about the vaccine mandates, the vaccines, and the booster shots. Yeah. Which is something that he's rightfully proud of, you know, creating this thing that makes COVID less severe. But I, those aren't those aren't things that really motivate the base. And I think it's going to be, motivate the base less in 2024 than they do now. So I was just looking at that and I was thinking, I think that's, I, just, I still think that Donald Trump is the runaway favorite to win if he runs mm-hmm. and he's intending to run. Mm-hmm. But I looked at that and thought, maybe that's not a sure thing. So much changes in three years. That might not be a sure thing, and I kind of I'm kind of wondering what's gonna what it's gonna look like when these below the table blasts at DeSantis uh, are going to come out in the open. What a fight between those two is gonna look like. This is an ad I'm really excited to bring to you because it addresses a problem we talk about all of the time on this program, Blinkist has the perfect content to help you be a better, smarter, and more knowledgeable version of yourself in 2022. Their goal is to empower people to grow personally and professionally by discovering content that inspires, motivates, and gives you new perspective on your lives and in the world in 2022. So how do they do that? Well, with 22 Ideas for 2022, Blinkist's content can incredibly impact your lives. So there are titles of books on Blinkist and they advertise themselves on their website as big ideas in small packages. So you can read major books by people like Scott Gottlieb, who has uncontrolled spread on Blinkist. Even Roger Scruton, How to Be a Conservative, that's on Blinkist. You can read books from prominent authors, books that are making a huge impact on our politics and on our culture. Ryan Holiday, who's been on this podcast, you can listen to Lives of the Stoics, you can read Lives of the Stoics, and it says, right here on Blinkist's website with a subscription, that book becomes a 13-minute read. Trey Gowdy, Doesn't Hurt to Ask, that book becomes a 15-minute read on Blinkist. They have such a huge library of really important and impactful titles. If you want to read Ilhan Omar's book, you can do that in a truncated time period and it becomes digestible. We are drowning in content right now in our world. And to be able to convince important ideas from major books that are so impactful 
is an invaluable contribution. It's exactly the kind of innovation that we need in this high-tech world where, again, we are drowning in content. And to be able to consume it responsibly does require some work. And this condenses the important information from those books without losing anything. That is an aha moment, right? This is an innovation that is bringing us something important that works with the way we live our lives now. And too many people, because of the way we live our lives now, just don't have enough time to get to books, period. This makes books accessible. So right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Federalist to start your seven-day free trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Federalist to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash Federalist. I was going to say, a lot of uh, one of the mistakes that a lot of people in the Beltway make, particularly in the media, is thinking there's nothing deeper than Trump, right? That this massive new coalition that shifted from other political loyalties in some cases um, to Donald Trump is just about the personality of Donald Trump. And of course, for some people, it is. It's that the pugnacious uh, spirit of Donald Trump. He's, he's so mean to all the right people. His sense of humor. Yeah, he's, it, so mean. he's so darn funny. Yeah, the, the the feuds with Rosie O'Donnell, but um, I think they miss that some things are very much deeper than Donald Trump, and this issue of vaccines is actually one of them. Uh, vaccine mandates, boosters, disinformation, all of that I do think is deeper than Donald Trump, and if you have people who are loyal to Donald Trump, their loyalties are coming into conflict on this question of, of the vaccines, and if Donald Trump elevates this to a front and center uh, issue, that may not go well for him because he has to be careful not to make the mistake and think that things um, aren't deeper than Donald Trump because things like immigration absolutely are deeper than Donald Trump. Things like vaccine mandates and children and all that, these are these are deeper than Donald Trump. And Ron DeSantis um, is one of those people that like has, he's maybe the only person, uh, I can think of like maybe Tom Cotton, um, who's been able to sort of be, I hate the sayings, I think it's super hackneyed and cliched, the Trump without the Trump because I don't think anybody wants Trump without the Trump, but he also has some of those good qualities. I mean, the way he is laid into the media, he may be well positioned if he recognizes that things are deeper than Trump in a way that Trump doesn't. Um, so maybe it's it's possible that this is his Trump support is chipped away at not only because of the way he's talking, but because of the way that people like Ron DeSantis are sort of taking up the mantle. Yeah, because Donald Trump was the first person to launch this movement, uh, really launch it. It had been it had been cooking in the brains of people from Patrick Buchanan mm-hmm. uh, to Ross Perot to some of the never Trumpers, funny enough, uh, <laughs> for a long time. And he blasted in, and he was a champion of that movement. I think uh, Sarah Westwood of the Examiner put it pretty well when she said in 2016, he ran on a movement. In 2020, he ran on himself. Hmm. And that hurt. Even though he got more votes, he did get more votes, but it was a, not as much of a strong and disciplined message. And well, he ran so much on tax cuts, too. Yeah, which is like, don't read the polls. Listen, I love Congressman Brady, but like you don't need you know, tax cuts is not what's motivating the people right now in the time in the time of this yep. this collapse. Uh, in twenty twenty four, it seems like he might run on himself again. 
And it's worth it. I mean, every politician is interested in themselves. Every one of them. Trump is no exception. Everyone in D.C. tries to pretend that he's an exception. Like, he's like, oh, he's, he's into himself. Every one of them are into themselves. But <laughs> the, I one time asked the senator how he reads his news. Uh, like we were having a happy hour at his office. I'm like, how do you, how do you, get, how do you get your news? What, do you, what sources do you read? He said his staff collates all of the news references to him <laughs> and they print them out and put them on his desk every morning. And I stared at him and he did, he had no idea that this was an insane thing to say. <laughs> he's a, he's a popular senator with the conservatives. The, um, but it's <laughs> not surprising. It's not shocking at all. So no. I'm not like, but, uh, you have to make it less of, you have to make it more, I think broader, uh, than he is right now. And there's a lot of time to change as, as, um, as uh, a friend of mine pointed out to me, Recently, he's like, how quickly things change. Barack Obama got famously shellacked in the <laughs> midterm election. Georgia, uh, Bill Clinton got destroyed in 1994. George W. Bush as well. All of them won re-election. Yeah. So, so much changes. We have no idea what's coming down the pike. I just noticed that the, the Hispanic thing and the drop in support for President Trump were the two things that stood out to me as like most fascinating in that poll. It was a Quinnipiac poll. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, I think it was a Quinnipiac poll that came out uh, today or yesterday and it made some big waves. And Chris, you have uh, one of the things you bring to the table and we are quite literally sitting in front of a table and I'll sort of um, imagine that this is on the table. But one of the things Chris brings to the table is a good knowledge of the Hill. And to that uh, extent, I want to ask you about this huge poll Push for voting rights that we <laughs> we could and should do an entire episode on at, at one point. Um, our friend and former colleague David Harsani had a great, great tweet um, this week when he said, show me one person whose voting rights have been taken away from them. And somebody from Cato responded rightfully, uh, felons. So felons aside, show me one person who has had their vote, their right to vote taken away from them. But this is really about federalizing elections um, and seizing control, the federal government seizing control over elections. Why doesn't he have the vote? Because for a lot of people, they're looking at Chuck Schumer and they're looking at the strategy here and saying, um, dang, you know, does he have the votes? But then Kirsten Sinema came out and gave a, an interesting speech today. What's, what is your read on this? He doesn't have the votes at all, because as current Senate rules stand, he need, he would need to peel off. He would need to get every single Democrat. 60, right? Yeah, he needs 60. So you need nine Republicans. And <laughs> good luck. You might be able to get a few. Maybe we get like Susan Collins or something, but I don't think for a carve out for a filibuster carve out for voting reform. No, no, I don't. I don't think they're going to get that. And then he's Schumer saying, "Well, if we don't get this, if we don't get everything we want, then we're going to nuke the filibuster." And they don't have that either. Like because you would need Cinema sixty. And Manchin you? said no. Oh, you need. You only need fifty one to do a rule change to nuke. Okay. To do uh, basically as it's been explained to me is. It's, it's just play get, with 51 votes. The chair gets to play imaginary land mm -hmm. and they can strike it. Okay. And that would, but Kirsten and Manchin won't give that to them. So they don't have the votes to do either. So this entire, entire trip to Georgia, the whole push is to get people talking about this as if like the Democrats yeah. hadn't had all year to do this. Right. Get people talking about it, to push it and to make it a midterm election to thing move. and to move the base and get them excited. But the funny thing is, like when Joe, when Joe Biden went down to Georgia to <laughs> looking for a soul to steal, yeah. an election to steal, a vote, he, uh, the left-wing activist base groups didn't show up. And, and they were just like, we are done talking, not another speech. And it's like Stacey Abrams you, didn't show up. Yeah, well, she's like super dumb. But even, they're all so dumb. It's like, yo, he, Joe Biden does not have the votes to do this. 
the whole point of this is to get more more people showing up and to try and juice the crowd. Now, I get it because I hate it when the Republicans do that kind of thing with like abortion, or for example, where they say, oh, yeah, we're going to enter Roe v. Wade, but they don't actually have the power to do it or any intention to do it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's something that. We did that, with Obamacare for years. <laughs> yeah, Obamacare for years. Voted symbolically on it however many times and then didn't vote for Obamacare. Yeah, I love the power to. I'm talking to congressmen or senators, like, you never repealed Obamacare. And they'll be like, we, we repealed Obamacare 128 60, times. Yep. No, you didn't. <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> All they did was repeal Obamacare yeah. for years. Yeah, damn my lion eyes, I guess. <laughs> but no one's cooperating and that's one of the great aspects of this no good very bad awful terrible Joe Biden week hmm. and you know it's it's unchristian of me to enjoy it as much as I am it's not actually it's it's not it's politics and they're increasingly very bad at politics um, and the Georgia example is a good one you know who wrote that line about are you on the side do you want to be on the side of George Wallace um, or do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis that was a claim to story in John Meacham which we talked about with former Congressman Doug Collins yesterday. It's just this like incredible moral preening from the elites that Democrats cannot get away from, even when all of the signs, I mean, it's like a glaring neon sign telling them that. And they think, you know, if they can get salt and if they can, you know, pick off all of these suburban women who just dislike Donald Trump and the crassness of Donald Trump, they're fine. You know, that'll get those. Crassness. Yeah. It was a perfect phone call. It, it was a beautiful tweet. The phone calls. Another <laughs> story. <laughs> it was it was a perfect speech. <laughs> the uh so that actually Larry David Larry David in the season this last season of Curb and the last episode had a great joke about it being a perfect phone call, but um that's neither here there, here nor there. What I was saying um before you rudely You just interrupted me. yourself. I know. I, I interrupt you a lot too. <laughs> But sometimes you need to be interrupted. Um, anyway, so that was in this season of Curb. And Joe Biden, I think they continue. It's like a glaring neon sign telling them that, like, they actually need to do better. They need to stop. Like, but they think they can coast into the until their demographic change ensures that Democrats never lose another election again over the course of the next 10 years. That's I genuinely think that's what they're doing. And then on the other hand, they're just too dumb and too. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like recalcitrant, like they just refuse or so stubborn they refuse to admit that uh their policies aren't working um and chris actually let me turn turn this to you kevin mccarthy in an interview with breitbart this week absolutely blasted the chamber of commerce said they left the party a long time ago i wrote about it for the federalist i checked in with a uh, source connected to republican leadership who said that the chamber strategy was intentionally to elect Democrats uh, and they chose margin makers. And if you look at the numbers, that seems obviously correct. What is going on? I mean, that's crazy. If you go back to 2010 and you look at what the chamber was doing and and Chris, you were already old in 2010, uh, but you looked at what the chamber was doing politically and said 10 years from now, I know and said 10 years from now um, that there would be that Donald Trump would have been president and the chamber was endorsing (laughs) Democrats almost as much as Republicans. 2010, like who are the power brokers uh, of the Republican party? 
George W. Bush, the Chamber of Commerce, Charles Koch, and the Heritage Foundation? Yeah. Like, okay. That's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce is not at all surprising that they, they switched. The entire elites of the, of the American corporate community, which are no longer the kind of corporate communities we used to have, where you have this guy who made it rich in Kansas, and this guy made it rich in Arizona, and this guy who's a businessman from Florida, and this guy from Massachusetts. It's all like New York City. A lot of it's L.A., it's it's they're multinational corporations. A lot of them, their interests are not always the American people's interests. Their interests are generally cut my corporate taxes uh, and free trade, so I can you know sell out American jobs to foreign countries. I love that the GOP and Chamber of Commerce have have gotten into divorce. Nothing could nothing could be better. That that big giant gorgeous mausoleum that they live in that has amazing Christmas parties. Have you been to the Chamber Christmas party? Oh, many times. I was on a board there. <laughs> Old. <laughs> <laughs> I got something advisory board of some sort. I can't remember. You used to be quite libertarian. <laughs> a long time ago. The uh, that grew up and grew a brain and a heart. The <laughs> oh God. The, the, the Chamber of Commerce, that whole giant structure right across the street from the White House, that kind of exists to give these giant multinational corporations a voice that's larger than the American people's voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm very happy to see them go. I think it was suicidal for them to, to ally in any way with the Democratic Party, but to them, outsourcing American jobs to foreign countries was so important that they were going to do that. It was a really bad strategic decision. It's kind of similar to the, the Silicon Valley decision, except I think theirs is more ideological, where the Democrats have always wanted to regulate them. The Republicans are their only friends in town. And then they abused and beat and attacked Republicans until now. You've got um, you've got uh, legislation coming up right now from Congressman Ken Buck that's, that's co-signed by everyone from like Jerry Nadler to Chip Roy. Yeah. So like that was a bad decision, Silicon Valley. And these, com- these companies just think that they can abuse the American people with no reaction. And the GOP largely was a vehicle for that. We're like, we were, yeah. The Republicans could cheer for Walmart for decades while Walmart gave money to Democrats and, and American citizens bought their products with food stamps. They gave plenty of money to Republicans, too. <laughs> but like, these, com- these companies are bad, and it's about time the GOP finally woke up to it. I think Kevin McCarthy generally is a pretty savvy politician. I don't, I don't think he has any idea what's going on right now. His statement of Republican principles for 2024 sounded like, as Rachel Burvard wrote for us, a 2008 GOP speech. But he was right to attack the Chamber of Commerce and know where that's going. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I had the same sort of reaction to Rachel, and we talked about this on uh, the Edmund Burke Foundation's NatCon podcast. Rachel and I did, uh, along with Josh Hammer and Ben Weingarten, that like it's actually worse than just not knowing, than not being able to sort of translate the interests of this new coalition into policy. It's It was an attempt to try to translate the interests of the new coalition into policy and to fail uh, because like a parent's bill of rights, this is one of the planks of Kevin McCarthy's platform that he talked about this week. It's like, that is going to be toothless. Whatever it is, it's going to be toothless. That's not going to translate into any like hard... Section 230 reform. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, no, seriously. Like, uh, the, yeah. But so, I, I like that. I like the idea of Section 230 reform. Good job, uh, for future Mr. Speaker McCarthy. But what I know what I don't like is the fact that right now there's a bill that's being put forward by left by left wing Democrats and right wing Republicans and middle moderates to ju- this is all the bill from Ken Buck has. And we're going to have him on the podcast next week, I think. I was going to say, I teased it yesterday that he would be on the podcast today. Instead, you get Chris. Oh, you did tease lucky, it? Lucky, lucky you'll get Chris. Yeah. Well, but he, instead... Unfortunately, yeah, he voted till 1030 last night and had to, had to leave early today. So he'll be joining us next week. But 
this this legislation would just make it so that when you sue big tech companies, as opposed to those lawsuits being heard in the, their back pocket and their local court and the courts that really favor them, that you can hear it in other courts. Mm-hmm. And Kevin McCarthy, Nancy Pelosi, the California delegation, they oppose this. Daryl Issa. Well, Daryl Issa is literally walking around on the floor of the House every time Ken's talk, Congressman Buck's talking to somebody to try to whip them. <laughs> Ice Daryl, Congressman Ice is coming up behind them and whipping them the other direction. And if you've ever, you know, you probably don't remember this because you were born in the late 90s or whatever. I was not born in the late 90s. There used to be car alarms that would go off. Yeah. That would be like the snake or something. It was Daryl Ice's voice, like, step away from the car. (laughs) So if he wants to intimidate you, like, he can be an intimidating dude. Daryl, your friend Daryl. My buddy Daryl. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we've known each other because my my whole career when I was, like, breaking into cars, uh, I, I... I would always hear his voice. <laughs> yeah. That was among your, the highlights of your entire career was you were an excellent car thief. I mean, I'm, I'm from, I grew up in Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. So, I, you know, we were talking about felons and voting. And I hit close to home. <laughs> Those are most of my friends. He, every <laughs> time you know Chris starts, I don't want them to have the vote. He, like the, <laughs> the stories that Chris tells are, I'm just always like, is this real or is this like a sequel to The Departed? I, I don't, I, it's hard for me to tell. We don't tell those on air though. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes you do. Um, and you're getting close to the end of your beer, so you may indeed uh, start to get in head in that direction. But one thing I was going to say, your insight about uh, Silicon Valley and these corporations is uh, useful to the extent. So the reason they did this and the reason they continued giving money to Republicans to bring this full circle um, in the conversation about Trump and DeSantis like, is because Republicans were receptive to it. They would say, we're creating all of these jobs. It doesn't matter if they're treating their workers like garbage. They would say, we're creating all of these wonderful jobs. We're revitalizing in communities, um, but again, they would be treating their workers make you see like your garbage. Workers don't go home when there's a tornado. Yes, so that they're buried in their office place. Yes, and ex- exactly. And um, Republicans would say, "Look, in, list. It's looking or list." I continue to combine look and listen. Republicans would say, "Listen, it's better that we have these jobs than not have these jobs." which is a ridiculous cost-benefit analysis in, in many cases. And the Trump versus DeSantis thing is that, like, Trump is the only person, other than, like, what, Rick Santorum, who, like, actually really talked about that. And now it's a lot of Republicans talk about it, whether they act on it is a totally different question. A lot of Republicans still took money from the chamber just a couple of years ago. Well, and the vaccine mandate was a real test of that. And I think... Which the I'm, chamber endorsed, by the way. Of course they did. <laughs> the... The vaccine mandate was a real test of that. And I was very, Republicans at first were very skeptical of it. They were saying, well, private businesses can demand vaccine cards or this or that. They can force their employees to. And I remember watching that and thinking, have you learned not a single lesson? Like the whole point of the last four years of the GOP was we understand that if your local factory closes, you can't just get a job at the next door factory. Mm -hmm. We understand that if your grocery store closes, it might be 40 miles for you to get to the next grocery store. We understand that most of America is not like New York City and Washington, D.C., where there's Mm -hmm. lots of different kinds of high paying jobs for the right people and lots of different grocery stores. And then we completely forgot that during the vaccine mandate fight at the beginning. And they tried to appeal to Ronald Reagan as like the reason why they weren't going to defend people from corporate power. Completely insane. And it's because Reagan loved that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, stop, stop desecrating Reagan. Yes. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. The, and it's, it's an easy one to quote. Oh, Ronald Reagan would have done that. I'm like, oh, he's been dead. He's been dead for 15 years, six, 17 years. Well, he, he, of course he would have. You can't, you, you can't put words in his mouth. Yep. Anyways. They have come around on that. Republicans are getting fairly based on that. They're deciding that this is the fight that they're going to push. 
And I love it. Yes. And so, and, and not only that, we should mention this week before we wrap up that Kevin McCarthy, um, in this conversation about Kevin McCarthy, which I think he had a real miss when he did list out these agenda items. Those um, are just so stupid. Anything's better than a trillion trees. Lindsey Graham today that we we're talking on Thursday, Lindsey Graham said that Mitch McConnell shouldn't be, should not be a minority leader if he can't get along with Trump. And Kevin McCarthy basically called Nancy Pelosi's January 6th committee like a partisan witch hunt sham, said he wasn't cooperating with it. He just laid into her. We're talking about Lindsey Graham and Kevin McCarthy pre-2016. This is a different world. It is a different world, although... I will say that Republicans are always very brave in the minority. <laughs> mm-hmm. They'll say everything. I mean, they, man, hell, they'll outlaw abortion if John you want Boehner to join the minority. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we voted against abortion. Oh, okay. Well, when you had the majority, you didn't. They, so, I mean, and they, they repealed Obamacare 128 hundreds times. times. <laughs> like hundreds. <laughs> And now we are free from the ravages of socialism. Uh, Christopher Bedford, senior editor at The Federalist. He's also working over at Right Forge. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Emily. This was fun. Yes, it was a real pleasure. Thanks for the beer. You've been listening to another edition of The Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. We'll be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray. Yeah.